0: great to see you Purpose Church. What an amazing week we've just had. In spite of all the challenges of COVID, uh, we held a kids camp with about 400 children and volunteers and the kids raised almost $2,000 for the orphans of Kenya where each dollar uh, sends a child to school for one day. That's 2,000 days in school for the orphans of Kenya because of the generosity of our Kids and our amazing kids camp that we had uh, this past week, and then Wednesday night, uh, after the conclusion of the three days of kids camp, Wednesday night, over 200 students and their leaders from our student ministries came back indoors uh, from the tents, and it was just so exciting here this. This week with campuses with hundreds and hundreds of parents and kids and volunteers and students and their leaders. And I just looked at our campus this week and it was so excited. Uh, I just thought to myself we're back, we're back, God has brought us back, Purpose Church, and I'm so grateful for your faithfulness uh, during this incredible 15-month period uh, that we've just been through. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Eric preached just a great Father's Day message, and I encourage you uh, to watch it uh, on our website online if you missed it last Sunday. And by the way, We're just so blessed to have Pastor Eric and his family, Sarah and the family at our church. You know, other churches, including some bigger than us, are always trying to steal him to be their senior pastor. And I'm always beating him off with a stick. And he's, But he's committed to us. Uh, their family is committed to us and our unique vision uh, here at the heart of Pomona, um, here at Purpose Church. And so he's committed to us despite all the other suitors that come. It also helps that every time uh, one of the pastors or leaders from these churches call me for a reference, I always say about Eric, well, our lawyers won't let us talk about him. Our lawyers say that's a verboten um, subject. That's, that's not true. I don't do that, but I have thought about doing it. Uh, you know, over the, la- the three months that we're in right now, uh, Pastor Eric is going to preach to a combined audience of over 14,000 people all over California, which represents about uh, 4,000 different people. And here's the amazing thing about uh, Eric. Uh, most pastors, what you see up front in their preaching, is their strongest side. I mean, that's that's what they do best. But Eric is one of those pastors who, even though he is a very very strong preacher, he's even stronger in his leadership skills behind the scenes uh, than than he is even as strong as he is in front of the scenes while preaching. He's even stronger in his leadership skills behind the scenes. And that is what builds churches. And so we are very, very blessed to have him and Sarah and the family here at Purpose Church. All right, let's continue our summer series called Flipped, which is based on a verse-by-verse study of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, When Jesus uh, steps into our life or into our culture, he flips uh, everything upside down. Now, today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, where Jesus talks about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Now, people have said to me, golly, Glenn, these are, these are some kind of topics you're coming up with, uh, things like sex last time, and now marriage and divorce and, and, and remarriage. Oh my goodness, Glenn, you're just hitting on all these kind of uncomfortable tough topics, and I'm like, don't blame me, blame Jesus. These are Jesus topics. All we're doing is exegeting, verse by verse, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sermon. These are Jesus topics. And isn't it interesting that the hot topics of 2,000 years ago are still uh, the difficult topics of today. Uh, Divorce can be one of the most painful experiences in life. And our church should bring hope to those who have experienced this pain. You know, people who have gone through divorce, they've described it with words like excruciating pain, grief, despair, hurt, anger, sadness, rejection, guilt, anguish, shock, betrayal, anxiety, fear, isolation, loneliness, depression, and feeling broken hearted. So, to those who are experiencing these emotions in the aftermath of a divorce, we want Purpose Church. We want our church to be a community of hope where God can love people and bring about uh, restoration and healing. You know, over the past 10 years, there have been about uh, uh, 20 to 25 million divorces in the United States. And the average divorce affects about 10 people. So, almost Everybody in the United States has been affected in some way through divorce. I imagine you have, and I have. You know, just an interesting, as I've been researching it this past week, uh, just a little bit of a sidebar here. uh, What professions have the highest divorce rates? The divorce rates, the professions, uh, the jobs with the highest divorce rates are dancers, bartenders, and massage therapists. And then what are the professions with the lowest divorce rates? I just found this very interesting. Uh, farmers, podiatrists, optometrists, and pastors are the profession with the lowest um, rates. But we know that it affects just about everybody. And I'm sure you've been affected. I know that uh, Kimberly and I have been affected by it as well. Uh, Nikki Gumbel writes, divorce was a hot issue in the time of Jesus. Family life stood in great danger of destruction. It was almost on the brink of destruction when Jesus came into the world, when he came in and flipped everything upside down and Christianity first came into the world. In the Greco-Roman world, although not in Judaism or the Jewish faith, relationships outside of marriage were considered natural and normal. Uh, Family life and marriage was on the brink of extinction. And then Jesus came and flipped the status quo upside down. And our culture, as I've said before in this series, is becoming more and more like the culture that Jesus came into when he flipped uh, things upside down and he saved marriage and family life in the Roman Empire. And I believe that we are called as Christ's followers today, as followers of Jesus, to save marriage and family life in our culture, in the United States, and post-Christian culture uh, today as well. But first, let's look at the Jewish context uh, that Jesus was speak- speaking into. According to Jewish rabbinic law, a man had the right to divorce his wife, but the woman had no such right to divorce her husband. you got to remember, as we go through all this, men had all the rights and women had... Very few rights in Judaism, and it wasn't until followers of Christ that they had increasing rights as uh, Christianity infiltrated like salt and light into the Greco-Roman culture of that time. Now, the grounds for divorce had two different schools of thought based on how the Jewish rabbis interpreted uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24 that we're going to look at in a few minutes, where Moses said you could divorce um, your wife for something indecent in your marriage, something indecent in your marriage. Now, the conservative approach was led by Rabbi Shammai, who said it could only be, you could only get a divorce for serious sexual offense, only for a serious sexual offense. That was a conservative uh, rabbinic uh, uh, interpretation. The liberal position was led by Rabbi Hillel, who said you could get divorced for just about any reason um, whatsoever. Uh, As a matter of fact, some of the examples that that these rabbis used were if your wife was gossiping in the streets, if she was losing her looks, if she had an unsightly mole, or put too much salt in your soup. These were kind of the broad divorce for almost any reasons of the more liberal position. So in Matthew chapter 19, that we'll look at in just a second, the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to pick sides, and this is so fascinating. They were getting Jesus, do you pick the conservative position or the liberal position? So they are trying to get Jesus to pick sides. It's fascinating. In the Sermon on the Mount, as we're gonna see, Jesus picked sides. But in uh, Matthew chapter 19, he didn't pick sides between the two. He replies by talking about marriage. He doesn't pick a side about the interpretation for grounds for divorce, but instead, he just goes right back to the, the beginning of things and talks about marriage. So there are five things we're going we're to see that Jesus taught here uh, in the passages where he discusses these subjects. Number one, to choose wisely. Choose wisely. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 31. It has been said... Okay, it was a, a common saying, the, the, the uh, liberal, uh, the interpretation, or actually it was going back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 24. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Everybody knew that, and they misinterpreted it to mean it was an easy thing and not a big deal to do that. But I tell you, okay, here's, here's the flip. Whenever you see that phrase in the on the Sermon of the Mount, but I, he he flips everything upside down, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. Now remember in this context, we're talking about men had all the rights and women had next to zero rights. Makes her the victim of adultery. This was protecting the women of that culture. Jesus steps in And he protects the women, saying, when men do this to women, it makes her the victim of his adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So in this case, Jesus chooses the conservative position of Rabbi Shammai here in the Sermon on the Mount. Later on, he's going to avoid it and just go right into talking about marriage. Now, the disciples, because he had the conservative position that marriage was meant to be permanent, they were like, wow, wow. I mean, they, they stepped back and said, man, it's a big deal, this marriage thing. Um, then they, the, the disciples said, then you should be absolutely careful who you should marry. And Jesus said, absolutely. Choose wisely who who you marry. Now, Jesus and Paul were both single. And they gave indications that the single life was the best life because you could focus all of your energy on eternity. Uh, It is certainly uh, better to be single, happily single, than to be unhappily married. But if you do marry, uh, choose wisely. Um, You know, there are two different thoughts on this. Some people believe that there's one person out there for you that you're meant to marry. And you get married when you find that person. So if you're 18, when you find that person, you get married. If you're 68, if you find that one person, uh, then you get married at 68. So your marriage age is kind of determined by when you find that special person. But others believe that there, there are many people you could be married to and that you get married when one of these people crosses your path at the stage in life when you're ready to get married. So that's an interesting thing. Discuss that over lunch as to, do you think it's that one person and your age of marriage tends to be when you find that one person or there are multiple people out there and it's just when you're ready to get married, you find one of those people and that's who you get married to. But regardless of which position you hold, uh, there are three questions to ask in order to choose wisely who it is that you marry. Number one, are we spiritually compatible? Are you spiritually compatible with that person? Are they following Christ like you're following Christ? Otherwise, you're going to be walking in two different directions. You're going to be following Christ, and and they're going to be following uh, something else in, in their life. And so if you're going to go in the same direction, you should both be following Christ. But I would take it a step further and say, are they following Christ as closely as you are? and you should be following Christ as closely as possible, and you should find another person that's following Christ as closely as possible, and then you'll be walking in the same direction and that will keep you together as you walk in the same direction rather than uh, drifting apart because you're walking in two different directions. So number one, are we spiritually compatible? Number two, are we personally uh, compatible? Are we emotionally uh, compatible? Uh, Kimberly and I always say that marry your best friend and then when the initial excitement of marriage uh, wears off, uh, you will still have certain things in common. After the excitement wears off, you'll still be married to your best friend. Are we emotionally or personally compatible? Are we spiritually compatible? And then number three, are we physically compatible? Are we attracted to each other? And it's not enough to just be spiritually and emotionally or personally compatible. You should also be physically uh, compatible, attracted uh, to each other. But now here's the big myth of our culture. Uh, I want to dispel that myth. You don't have to sleep with each other to know if you're attracted to each other. Uh, you, you can know if you're attracted to that other person without, without uh, having sex with them, without sleeping with them. It's a total myth of our uh, culture that you just gotta have sex with a bunch of different partners until you can kind of compare and find which one you're most physically compatible with. No, no, You can know that um, before you have relations with that person. So are you physically compatible? Are you personally emotionally compatible? and uh, are you spiritually and compatible? and if you and if you hold off, having physical relations with that person. Until you get married, you can concentrate on whether you're spiritually compatible and emotionally and personally compatible. I mean, if if you just jump right to the physical compatibility, then you tend to neglect the other things until after you're married. But you can concentrate on spiritual compatibility, emotional and personal compatibility. If you delay, if you also see if you're physically compatible, but if you delay uh, relations with that person, intimacy until after uh, you get after you get married. Now, uh, once you're married, number two, invest massively in that relationship. Invest massively. Matthew 19 verse three. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So they're representing the liberal position of Rabbi Hillel. They're saying, do you have that, his position that you can get divorced for for any and every reason? Now this is where Jesus doesn't pick sides, but instead he goes right to talking about marriage. In verse 4, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, the wife will do the same, and be united to his wife, she'll be united to her husband, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one uh, separate. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying marriage involves one man and one woman for life. Uh, Jesus goes on to say marriage entails leaving your parents. Uh, The next thing is there is a uniting and a personal commitment, and then finally in that environment, the two will become one flesh. Now sociologist uh, Dr. Patricia Morgan writes, it is the greatest irony of all that one of the most common motivations for cohabitation uh, before marriage is the desire to prepare safely and responsibly for marriage. It is, it now seems certain, a snare and a delusion. Far from cohabitation strengthening marriage, the evidence is that those who live together before marrying stand a higher chance of divorcing and certainly do where both parents have had a previous cohabitating relationship with someone else. Now she is basing this opinion on a, just a wealth of hardcore uh, evidence. Uh, for example, i just give you a couple of them. Less than 5% of cohabiting couples stay together for longer than 10 years. Less than 5% of those that live together uh, stay together for longer than 10 years. Um, another uh, piece of research, while 8%, 8% of married couples split up within 10 years of the birth of their child. of married couples split up within five years of the birth of their child. 50%, not 8%, but 50%, half of cohabiting couples split up within five years of the birth of a child. So we see here the cultural non-flipped order of things. Okay, Our culture, uh, uh, non-flipped, non-Jesus following, has this order of things. You have sex then that leads to cohabitation, which leads to children, which leads to engagement, and possibly marriage follows it. That's the non-flipped life. But Jesus comes in as followers of Christ and flips everything upside down and says, this is the order of things you should have. You leave your parents, you're united to your husband or your wife, and then within that end context, sex takes place, or the old-fashioned way in the old King James translation, you leave, then you cleave, and the two become one flesh. Now, once you're married, you should be investing massively uh, into that relationship. Um, never say the word divorce, even, even in a joke in, in, in your relationship, even as a joke. I don't think that Kimberly and I have ever said the word divorce with regard to our marriage in, in 38 years of marriage. Uh, Ruth Graham, the wife of the famous evangelist Billy Graham, was once asked if she had ever considered div- divorce. And she said, murder, yes. Divorce, no. Never talked about divorce, but I have thought about, about murder. Uh, Rick, Rick Warren um, write, writes this about his marriage with his wife Kay. He said, I would be divorced today if it weren't for Kay and my stubborn persistence. We said divorce is not an option for us. We locked the escape hatch on our marriage the night we got married and we threw away the key. On the 21st of June this year, Kay and I will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. I think they're up to 40 by now. We like to say that we've had 17 great years. So they're about to celebrate their 20th anniversary. We'd like to say we've had 17 great years. The first three years were hell on earth. Been married 20 years, 17 great years. The first three were hell on earth. You know, a few years back, I uh, I was at a lunch uh, with Rick Warren, and when he found out what church that I pastored here at Purpose Church, he said, uh, your church had a counseling center and, and, and it was led by Carol Beckendam from our church family, still within our church family. Your church had a counseling center with Carol Beckendam on your campus and your church, Rick Warren said, your church saved our marriage. At the time it was First Baptist Church of Pomona, today called Purpose Church. He said, your church saved our marriage. Now on our 150th anniversary, now we're up to 151, we're eventually uh, coming out of COVID going to get to celebrate that milestone. I've talked about how we're one of only 11 churches in in national church history, possibly even worldwide church history, that have reached uh, this size and this uh, this age. This size and this age, only about 10 other churches in, in Christian history have ever done that. But then there are all kinds of other residual areas of impact of our church. Now think about that. Saddleback Church, pastored by Rick and Kay Warren, uh, you can argue that it is possibly the church that has, that has had the greatest impact in church history. When you add up um, missions and when you end up uh, the whole, they've actually, the purpose driven country, there's actually a country in Africa that has adopted the purpose driven um, principles. Other than the Bible, purpose driven life is the biggest seller in all of, of history, of all of human history, of any book. Uh, there's the Bible and then there's purpose driven life. Um, you can argue the Saddleback Church has had the great, greatest, if not one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest impact in all of the last 2,000 years of church history. That church wouldn't have happened if our church hadn't been used by God to save their marriage. And there are just so many stories that are part of our 151-year history. Just It'll only be in heaven I'm trying to give us a glimpse of the things that I discover, but it's only when we get to heaven that we'll realize. And you are part of that legacy. You are part of that 151-year legacy here at Purpose Church. Now, let's get back to marriage. We've got to invest massively in in our marriage. Uh, if the grass is greener on the other on on the other side of the fence, it is time to start watering your own side of the fence. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, it is time to start watering your own side of the fence. Mignon McLaughlin writes, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. Joyce Brothers once said, marriages like careers need constant nurturing. Let's just hold that there for a second. This tremendously convicted me. Because our careers, my career, like your career, you probably think about it a lot of the time. I mean, I think about Purpose Church all the time. Um, you know, I, I go to seminars. I read books. I read articles. I read stuff online. Uh, with regard to your career, whatever your career is, I bet you do the same thing. I bet you go to training to stay sharp in your career you read books about your career you go to conferences about your career we we nurture our careers all the time and when i saw this quote i asked myself the question do i nurture my marriage like i nurture my career and let me ask you the same question do you nurture your marriage to the same degree you nurture your career do you nurture your marriage to the same degree that you nurture uh whatever your whatever your hobby uh, is now here 's just an unbelievable verse in deuteronomy twenty four verse five it, it This is just a crazy verse. I mean nobody talked about marriage enrichment i don 't think until the last thirty or forty years it has only been recently that people talk about enriching their marriage. This is just a foreign concept until very recently and certainly wasn 't around in 1400 BC, 3,400 years ago. I mean, nobody, nobody talked about that stuff. And so we have this verse in the Old Testament from 3,400 years ago from, from Moses, that it's almost like an alien flew back in time and dropped this verse in the Bible, but it wasn't that at all. It was God, God that did it. Look at this crazy, out of context, historically, Uh, verse that we find. And it's interestingly, it's right after the verse we're about to look at that talks about the grounds for divorce that that Moses uh, legislated there in ancient Israel. But right after those four verses that we'll look at in a second, here's verse five. If a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. (laughs) This is in a time period, uh, like every time period, where nobody worried about is a man making his wife happy. Okay, And here, 3,400 years ago, in God's word, it says, give him the first year of marriage off from any other duties, civically or militarily, so that he can stay home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5, again, 2,000 years ago, we find this uh, unbelievable um, a passage where Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's talking about, he would prefer that people stay single like Jesus and Paul so all their attention can be on um, eternity and take, going to heaven and taking people with you to heaven. But since sexual immorality is occurring, I mean, there's so much temptation in our culture as there was in Paul's culture. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now, what would have been typical back then is likewise the wife should fulfill her marital duty to her husband. Everybody. Typical, 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 typical. But in God's words, here are what we find the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, unheard of, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. Typical, typical, typical. In the same way, however, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Totally, Uh, just culturally a a bomb, a flipped lifestyle of those that follow Jesus. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so I encourage you to invest in your marriage. Go to purposechurch.com slash marriage uh, for resources to build your marriage. You know, a survey of marriages in the United States found that one out of every two and a half marriages uh, in the United States ends in divorce. But in a relationship, okay, so for uh, the average marriage, one fails out of every two and a half marriages. But in a relationship in which the couple does these things, number one, they're married by a pastor. Number two, they attend church regularly together. Number three, they read the Bible together on a regular basis. And number four, they pray together on a regular basis. If they do those four things, the divorce rate drops from one in every two and a half. It drops to one out of every 1,105. That's the difference Jesus makes. And, and part of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago a uh, part of that is modeling strong marriages and family life to a watching culture. And then number three, concede reluctantly. Uh, the Pharisees challenged Jesus' view of marriage by misquoting Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one, to make it sound like they were misquoting Scripture to make it sound like it was no big deal. But it was a big deal uh, to God. Divorce is a big deal to God. Malachi 2 verse 15. So be on your guard. And now this is all a challenge to the men of that culture who had all the power, almost all the power. Here's the challenge God gave to the men. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Uh, Similarly, uh, the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 24, it was designed to protect the wife and to restrict remarriage by forbidding a husband to divorce his wife and then remarry her if uh, his next marriage failed. Now let's finally go to the passage that the Pharisees are misquoting. Uh, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from her house. That's all they were looking for. Just, okay, I can get my piece of paper, I can get out of this thing. But that's not the context of it. It was designed to protect the women of 1400 BC, 3400 years ago. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. And so in that context, the Pharisees continue to press Jesus. They said in Matthew 19, verse 7, Why then, they asked Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so uh, one of the um, uh, grounds for divorce that Jesus gave was sexual immorality. Um, There's another one that Paul gives, Uh, uh, desertion is also, uh, sexual immorality is grounds for divorce, desertion is also grounds for divorce. He says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, or I would add, if a believer acting like an unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister, the follower of Christ, is not bound in such circumstances God has called us to live in peace. And so Nicky Gumbel writes, what Jesus and the rest of the New Testament confirms is that marriage is permanent. And divorce should only be allowed in the most extreme cases where there is gross misconduct such as undermines the whole marriage relationship. For example, if one party leaves and sets up home with another and has children by that new partner and will not return to their spouse, in effect, adultery has ended the first marriage. If an unbelieving partner leaves and will not be reconciled, the believer has to let him or her go. Another extreme case would be if someone is on the receiving end of protracted physical or mental abuse. In these cases, there is no other option. And then number four, rebuild carefully. Um, if, if you've gone through a divorce and you're thinking about remarriage, go slow. Go slow. Slow down. Make sure that you've healed adequately that you've resolved issues from your first marriage before you begin a new relationship. A key issue is the giving of forgiveness and the receiving of forgiveness. Uh, consider a divorce recovery group such as we have here um, on, on a regular schedule uh, here at Purpose Church or, or our recovery nights on, on Tuesday nights uh, here at Purpose Church or individual counseling to make sure you've healed from the past before you move into the future. Helen Rowland said, uh, a bride at her second marriage does not wear a veil She wants to see what she's getting. And I'm sure there's truth in that, and it's true for the groom as well. You want to have your eyes wide open uh, before you take that step um, of remarriage. And then number five, uh, for us as a church, embrace unconditionally. We need to surround um, those here at Purpose Church who are going through divorce through a divorce, got to surround them with great love and support and compassion and understanding. Our uh, support and recovery ministries here at Purpose Church offer hope and healing through Christ in the midst of tough life circumstances uh, like going through a divorce. Celebrate Recovery, like I said, meets here on our campus Tuesday nights in H100, um, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. and you can go to our website there, purposechurch.com recovery and find out um, more about that. But we wanna be all about being used by God to heal broken hearts that have been broken by this most uh, painful of, of life's um, situations. Isaiah 61, verse one, a prophecy about Jesus The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And then Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now I wanna close uh, this message with my new favorite video, my new favorite video. And, and I know it's going to be weird because we just shared this video last Sunday, just a week ago, but it's my favorite video. So I want us to show it again. And then it's also going to be weird because it's a Father's Day video. And this isn't Father's Day. This is the Sunday after Father's Day. But I thought this um, video from, from uh, the people of Purpose Church uh, that, that, uh, uh, that um, Pastor Eric had the vision for it and Tina Tong um, gathered the people that were willing to share and, uh, and then Kyle Hart did such an amazing job putting this together. I just thought this video captured what my message was all about which is we want to, as followers of Jesus here at Purpose Church, as a church and as individual followers of Jesus, we want to be in the business of building marriages, building families, and then sometimes um, in the aftermath of brokenness, helping people rebuild marriages, helping people rebuild families. And I just thought that this um, video beautifully captured that. And so let's close with that right now. Well, first off, what makes my dad a great father is probably that even though we share the same birthday, every year he <laughs> he lets me uh, choose the restaurant. I don't know why. My dad is an awesome dad because he loves Jesus. I just feel like he's not afraid to be silly. He's not afraid to sing or pretend to do mariachi. Like, he's just so funny sometimes, and he makes me laugh. Eric is a great father figure because, God, Hold on, it's gonna be. What if I cry? We're really blessed and thankful because he loves our kids plus our bonus kid. Uh, this is our nephew, but his dad is not here right now. He's in Turkey and he's been taking care of him since he was um, six months. When my husband and I met, um, our oldest son was three years old, and after we got married, our son was five. And he said, "Babe, um, I really want our son to have our last name. Um, no one that we knew at that time um, um, had done um, a, a step parent adoption. And so he you know had said, that, you know I'd, I, I would love to I, I want to adopt him and, um, and and give him my last name. I think that his relationship with like God really like made me realize how important and crucial my relationship with him is, I call him honey unless I'm upset, and the boys call him dad, and to six grandchildren, he is grampy. Sometimes grumpy, but usually grampy. <laughs> um, we actually really like to go up to Hume, go up to the mountains, and just spend weekends up there together. It's really fun. I see my father's relationship with Jesus affect his way of parenting, and just that, you know, kind of teaching me and my sisters that. Um, being a believer and follower of Christ isn't a religion, it's, it's more of a relationship. My grandpa, he's very good at describing the Bible in a way that I can understand and, and all people can understand. He can really articulate that. He'll take us driving and teach us to drive, Like even though it's like scary for him. He comes and plays soccer with us and he was excited to do that and he would kick the ball around to me. Even yeah, with soccer, instead of just coaching me and Aubrey, often he'll come and play with us as well. Before I even started dating Luis, I actually didn't know he was a single dad. He was just walking around with all the energy in the world, so positive, so encouraging and loving, and he was just holding it all together, and I'm super grateful for him. He would just ask us if you want to go camping and me, and we'll go. <laughs> and that's kind um, my favorite thing about my dad. Well, I usually do this, but funny jokes. I have funny jokes. Not really. To both my dad and my grandpa, you guys are are big inspirations, and uh, I see what you guys do, and when I grow up, I want to mirror that. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Happy Father's Day. We love you so much, and thank you for everything you do for us. Dad, I love you so much. I am so thankful for you. Um, Thank you for always being there for me. Thank you for always praying for me and thank you for always believing in me and loving me. I I just couldn't be more thankful than what I am today. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day and you could definitely pick the restaurant today. <laughs> Gary, if there's one thing that I want you to know this Father's Day is that I love and adore you and so does our whole family. I wanna say thank you for your unwavering commitment to each one of us. As a ministry leader at Celebrate Recovery, I have watched you pour into countless men's lives and I love that because you are helping other men to be the man and the dad that God created them to be. Eric, I just wanna say happy Father's Day. I love you and I appreciate all the sacrifices that you've made for us as a family and as a dad. I want you to know this Father's Day that uh, we are proud of you and I love you as a father. I love you as a man and and I love you. I I love love you. you. You're awesome.